Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Interabang Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Simon. Thank you for being with me today, and thanks for listening. Before we get into this week's episode, let's go and talk about some of the news you may have missed this week. Our top story, Health Canada has approved Pfizer's antiviral COVID-19 pill, marking the country's first oral treatment for the virus. The treatment consists of two pills taken twice a day for five days. According to health officials, the pill is only available to adults 18 and older who tested positive for COVID-19 and are experiencing symptoms. But some more location-centered COVID-19-related news. The Ontario government announced that restaurants can reopen for indoor dining at 50% capacity starting January 31st. The province is expected to lift other restrictions in February with the potential for a full reopening by March. Earlier this month, the provincial government closed indoor dining, gyms, cinemas, and issued new capacity limits due to the surge of the Omicron variant. The measures are scheduled to remain in effect until at least January 26th. And a 19-year-old London man charged in the death of a first-year Western student has turned himself in after being on the run for four months. Police say Harun Rasmala turned himself in after a Canada-wide arrest warrant was issued for his connection with the death of 18-year-old Gabriel Neal. Neal died in hospital after he was assaulted near Western and Sarnia Road on September 11th. Rasmala was one of the two suspects charged with manslaughter in Neal's death. Alain Amend, the other suspect, was released on a $10,000 bail following a court hearing in September. Rasmala is expected to appear in court on Tuesday. And after that major snowstorm that we saw this past Monday, Ontario Premier Doug Ford was seen driving around Toronto helping stranded drivers and giving people rides. Environment Canada issued a blizzard warning on Monday as up to 40 centimeters of snow were expected to fall by the morning. A video posted to TikTok showed the Premier giving an individual a ride, saying, I'm the taxi driver today, the snowplow, and everything else. And now, this week on the Interabang Podcast, I'm joined with Western nursing student Elliot Hegel. Elliot is responsible for co-creating the website rapidreport.ca with the help of Carleton Computer Science student Henry Morris. Their website, which launched at the beginning of the year, allows for people in Ontario to self-report results from a rapid antigen test. Elliot joins me today to give an overview of the design process and an update on how everything is going so far. But before I spoil too much, let's jump in to this week's episode. So, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us here in the Interrobang podcast. It's so nice to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. So, to talk about something that you have designed, and it's absolutely incredible, is this whole Rapid Report Ontario. So, maybe, could you give us a brief overview of of what that website is and and what it's doing? Yeah, so my friend and I, who's a computer science student at Carleton, created rapidreport.ca in order for people to report their rapid test results, whether they be positive, negative, or inconclusive, uh, because we know that there's quite a few rapid tests being done now across Ontario, but there's no one aggregating that data. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such a creative idea. And what, what inspired all of this to kind of go from here and, and create this website? Yeah, so on January 30th, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, the public, the chief public health officer for Ontario, he announced that Ontario would have to scale back the availability of its PCR testing because of this Omicron surge and needing to prioritize people who are healthcare workers and people who live in congregate living settings. And we thought that was really unfortunate just because we'd kind of lose 
a more holistic picture of COVID-19 in Ontario, just because, of course, they're only focusing on certain groups. And that leaves out people who are like frontline workers who are very often being exposed and seeing lots of people in each day, people who work in grocery stores. And also a lot of these jobs very often are minimum wage. They're for people who... Um, are of a lower socioeconomic status and those people really shouldn't be missed because we know that COVID-19 is not a fair virus. It disproportionately affects racialized groups, groups of lower socioeconomic status. So we were trying our best to kind of just add a little bit to the puzzle in understanding COVID-19. Yeah, which is absolutely incredible. And the fact that you, you're both just university students who, who just decided to, to take a part and do something on such a, a large scale that impacts so many people. And, and talking about that impact too, and going into that, what's kind of the response that you guys have seen so far since the launch of this website? Yeah, so we've had a really great response. We're approaching 4,000 tests, which is great for the site only, just being over two weeks old. We had a lot of interest definitely in the beginning. And of course we encourage people to continue reporting their results. But yeah, we've been really happy with the response. I can tell you that I get so many emails looking for interviews or suggestions on how to improve the site and even people trying to co-author papers, which is very exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and talking about the, the busyness that's probably been the past couple of weeks for you, maybe diving into that because you are still a student, but you have this absolutely an incredible website that's impacting so many people. So how has that balance kind of been, especially going back to school and having to take a step back and figure out how to navigate through all of this? So yeah, how's yeah. that been? <laughs> it, it's definitely been a lot. Um, when I, I might have like accidentally shot myself in the foot a little bit, but when we created the site, um, I was also back at home and there I was working like 50 hours a week at the children's hospital. And we decided to create the site. And I mean, Henry does a lot of the back end programming because we wanted to build it from the ground up just because we are collecting people's personal information. But uh, definitely dealing with all the people trying to get in contact and all the interviews, it's been very busy. and. Honestly, the first week back at school has been a little bit of a slowdown for me. I can only imagine, like it's been crazy for everybody, but especially yeah. for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, but talking about um, your work week before all of this started, you mentioned that you were working at the children's hospital. How has that kind of experience influenced the work that you want to continue doing? Because I know you are a nursing student at Western. So how has that experience been for you and, and wrapping in the whole rapid report website you've designed? Yeah, so I work at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, CHEO, it's in Ottawa, and I work in the COVID response program there. So that's ranged a huge variety of things. Um, I often work in vaccine clinics. I help uh, supervise our screening program as well. And then also I've even been redeployed to our ICU at times when we take on adult COVID patients. And what I've really learned from this is the value and the value of understanding things like population health and the importance of understanding public health in order to respond to this so that we don't leave people behind. I can tell you, and I think to a certain extent, this has happened to the rapid tests as well. Uh, very often I'd be in Ottawa working offsite um, at clinics in the community for vaccines. And 
there were times when we were working in locations that were considered priorities by Ottawa Public Health because they had, let's say, a big prevalence of people who were frontline workers. And it unfortunately got to the point where we would have people pulling up from neighborhoods outside of the neighborhood that we were trying to target. And we knew that because to register them, we have to figure out their address. And it really just kind of underlined while the the inequities in our COVID response. And part of the reason why Rapid Report was created was because we were trying to gain that more holistic picture and try to make sure that communities aren't left behind. We were also really trying to advocate for the province to create their own version of this. Uh, BC has their own version in England. The National Health Service also has their own version and they're trying to use it to detect outbreaks faster. And one of the things too that we have begun to see with Rapid Report is that the Rapid tests themselves when they were handed out, there probably was not really an equity lens being used by the province. I imagine that the same thing happened that was happening at the vaccine clinics. I mean, you have to come from a certain level of privilege to be able to wait in line outside of an LCBO for hours and hours for your rapid tests or just pay for rapid tests at Shoppers Drug Mart. And it's really unfortunate because I think we're finding more and more uses for them. I know over Christmas, a lot of people use them to kind of inform their gatherings and just add another level of safety. And I think it's really unfortunate that I I think it's very likely that that meant that Ontarians who were more wealthy probably managed to have safer Christmas gatherings than Ontarians who were not in the same position. Yeah, and that's a that's an angle of things that I didn't even realize. I mean, you're seeing more of the the front line and going back a little bit, but talking about the website you guys have designed, which again is absolutely amazing. And you were saying that BC has their own version and, and England has their own version. And this was kind of like a way to you said to show the Ontario government to maybe do something along the same lines, which I think is absolutely amazing. And the fact that you guys are students and, and taking this really huge first step in making the public more aware. But talking about the process and how you guys kind of designed all of this, the whole technology aspect and what's at the disposal for you guys to be able to do this. I mean, the fact that you're students and it was something I wanted to mention, it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't do incredibly impactful things in the community. And I think we've seen a perfect example with rapidreport.ca and the, the impact that it's having on so many people's lives. And it's, it's, it's just such a helpful tool. But Talking about the technology that's at students' disposal nowadays and, and how you guys all, all plan this out, I know you have a friend at Carleton who is in the whole computer science world and, and you have more of the, the experience there, but talking about, again, the disposal of technology and even at post-secondary institutions, and were you guys like using the technology at your institutions and, and using those facilities or even ordering the, the equipment that you needed, breaking down there and talking about the whole design process? Yeah, so we did it over the Christmas break. And um, actually, my friend Henry, he did build the site in under 24 hours in the way that it kind of the bare bones of it, the way that it basically looks now, there's been a few changes. Um, We didn't actually end up utilizing too much of the resources from our own institutions. Um, Henry, I know, has 
and definitely he'd be the one that would be able to comment about this further, but he has access to lots of resources like server capacity, that kind of thing. And just the knowledge that he's gained through his degree and what he's learned um, because we're collecting people's personal health information, any results on a rapid test, whether it be positive or negative, that is health information. We wanted to make sure that it couldn't be tracked back to a specific person. And with using something like Google Forms, we don't really know exactly what information Google would be collecting from our users. So we wanted to build it from the ground up so we could understand exactly what was going on and really be in complete control of the data. And we have, um, we, we publish our data set. It's almost everything except for IP addresses. And uh, the IP addresses, which we do collect, are stored in a secure data set. But we have uh, designed it so that even if someone were to hack in and they could see everything, you still wouldn't be able to track a result back to a specific person, uh, which is what we really wanted to do. And uh, it's interesting because um, you, you talk about the support that our institutions gave us and Western definitely has been very helpful in getting the word out. Uh, the communications team has been very interested in this. Um, Carlton hasn't taken as much of an interest, but a lot of the advice that we get about what questions should be asked and people looking to possibly co-author papers with us, um, that's actually all come from institutions outside of Western or Carleton. Uh, we've had people reach out from other med schools in Ontario and also med schools in the U.S., which is exciting. But uh, it's been interesting because I would really like to work on this with faculty at Western because I would love the idea of being able to publish some papers from this. And I think we could really look at the equity of rapid test distribution from our data set. Um, but uh, yeah, right now it's been a lot of people reaching out from other institutions looking to help. That's Incredible. Like, I had no idea that even you said medical institutions in the States were reaching out to, to co-author papers. That's absolutely amazing. And especially, again, bringing up the fact that just because, you know, you're a post-secondary student and doesn't mean that you can't have tremendous impact on the work that you guys do. And we're really, again, seeing an amazing example with the work that you guys have done. So, Looking at the the whole long-term aspect of this, you're saying, you know, in the future, you would like to have Western and, and other facilities kind of like influence and keep bringing this up. And it, it's it's just an amazing tool. But looking at that impact as well, but even the impact on yourself, how was this impacted? I know you're going into nursing, but how was this impacted, I guess, the work that you might want to do carrying on afterwards? How is this whole experience just reiterating in, in a better way? But how has it kind of impacted the desired profession that you kind of want to go in and the work that you want to do after graduation time? Yeah, I, I'm definitely very devoted to nursing. And I think that there's tons of things that you can do within nursing, which is one of the reasons why I chose the field. Um, there are nurses who are scientists who do population health and do data collection and write papers. There's other nurses who are health leaders who would use information from population health to inform institutions like hospitals or local health integration networks or the Ministry of Health provincially too. So it's difficult for me to say exactly what I want to do. I, 
work at a children's hospital and I definitely would be very interested in working with the pediatric population. And uh, in terms of like further areas for the site, which I know that you mentioned a while ago, um, we're definitely starting to see a decline in the number of people reporting each day, which is why I'm very happy that we have continued media interest in this to kind of still drum up support because the longer that we can get people submitting, I, I think the better. Uh, we're at an interesting point in the pandemic with Omicron and we're approaching the peak and it would be interesting to get data from before and after the peak. Um, but really what we're hoping for this is that can this just can be used to demonstrate to the province that this isn't very hard and is totally within their capacity. I ultimately think that the province would probably be better than us at creating a reporting tool just because they're the ones who hand out the rapid tests. Uh, the public health network in Peterborough, they put a QR code on all of the rapid test kit they hand out because they want people to report it within Peterborough. So it'd be really easy for the province to do that with their kits that they hand out. And ultimately they'd be able to create something that's a lot more reliable than rapid report. At the end of the day, we've taken steps to try and preserve the integrity of our data, but it is an anonymous self-reported survey. So it has limitations and it also a sample size of around 4,000 is great, honestly better than I was expecting. But if we really truly wanna understand Ontario as a whole, we need consistent reporting in large numbers from across Ontario. Absolutely, and, and the step that, again, that you guys have taken to do this, and, and you were saying how, you know, Ontario being the ones that they're supplying these rapid tests could do a better job. I think from my personal opinion, what you guys have done already and even just breaking down what you were saying, like the whole confidentiality process and how even with someone who's able to hack in, they couldn't get their personal numbers. And the fact that you guys have done this and it was just the two of you working on this, this project, it's absolutely incredible. And the information you're collecting is again, absolutely wonderful, but kind of wrapping up and, and bringing all that together and talking about the whole experience again, but really advice that you would give to say another student who's wanting to do something of a similar degree in terms of working on a project that could impact a large amount of people. What advice would you give to that student who kind of wants to start that process? Yeah, I, I definitely think that students have the power to do that. I think this is an example of that. Uh, you just have to be smart about the resources that you have at your disposal. You have to think about what kind of connections you can leverage to try and build something of your own. Henry did the site from the ground up and I do not have any knowledge that would be related to being able to do that, uh, believe me. Um, and then also I do think that there's definitely people, teachers, professors who are very interested and are always willing to help. So I really think that as students within your institutions, you do have some unique resources at your disposal. You have your faculty, you can ask them questions. I'm sure that they're happy to answer questions to kind of inform what you wanna do. And I think that uh, within universities and colleges, there's just a wide array of degree programs and a wide array of people that you can make friends with and try and build something that's kind of interdisciplinary. That's amazing. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us here in the Interrobang podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Interrobang podcast. If you would like to get involved here at the Interrobang, we're seeking submissions for our Black History Month issue. Students from Fanshawe College, Western University, as well as members of our community are all invited to submit articles, personal essays, short stories, poetry, artwork, opinion pieces, and more. The deadline is January 25th, and email submissions or general inquiries can be sent to h underscore Theodore at fanshawe.ca. As for the Interrobang podcast, you can catch up with every episode on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with all things Fanshawe.